Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 234, Whitaker versus Gastelum. And Shaq is going down this weekend. Two former welterweights are fighting for the UFC middleweight championship. And uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a very explosive fight, Shaq. Yeah, man. This is one of the best middleweight fights of all time, man. Both these guys are still young, still in their prime, still going strong. Both guys have uh, beaten legends. Uh... I mean, this is a. These are two middleweights in their prime, and uh, I, I truly think these are the two best middleweights in the world at the current state right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Not only are they in the position they're in for a reason, but both these guys actually came up through the Ultimate Fighter. They both won their respective seasons of the Ultimate Fighter. Now they're meeting in this middleweight championship bout. It's going to be incredible. But man, the co-main event of the evening, you got the old versus the new because Anderson the Spider Silva is taking on Israel Adesanya. And I know the odds are currently wide, but Anderson Silva said he always wanted to fight his clone. Uh, this is uh, this is the closest thing we've seen up until now, Shaq. Yeah, man. Israel's been looking better fight to fight. I mean, he's been wiping guys out recently, man. Uh, his performances just keep getting better and better. I mean, he's been showing that he's he's got a ground game as well. We know what Anderson is. He's one of the greatest of all time, one of the best to ever do it. We know he's got that aura. He's got that uh, mystique about him still. And uh, he's coming off a win. And I mean... Uh, he, he, t he still tests a lot of guys, man. That fight with Bisping was great. I mean, let's not forget he also hurt Daniel Cormier to the body as well. So Anderson's still a legend, and he still got it, man. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And oftentimes when people talk about how, you know, oh, this guy might be on his way out. He doesn't have it anymore. You see a performance like Jose Aldo versus Hanato Moicano where the old, the former champion goes out there and defeats uh, the young blood. And I know some people might not like that example because they feel like, well, the odds on the Aldo Moicano fight were a coin flip and Israel versus Anderson, you know, it's minus 650. But what I'm trying to say here is that the former legend slash goat of the division, Jose Aldo, and in this case, Anderson Silva, went out there and defeated the guy that many people are calling the future of the division in Hanato Moicano. In this case, the future of the division is Israel Adesanya. So I'm just saying, if Anderson can come out here and defeat a guy like Israel, all of uh, the MMA world's going to explode, Shaq. For sure, man. And uh, and on the other side of things, man, if Israel wins this fight, I'm, I think he's uh, ready for a title shot, man. Uh, you know, if Rob wins, you know, they could do uh, a little nice little build up to that fight. And if Kelvin wins, that's a great fight as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Israel versus Rob, that's a, an Australian, all-Australian showdown, even though some might claim New Zealand. But uh, Shaka, just the fact that they could potentially have that fight down under would be incredible. And if Anderson wins, talk, talk about an upset, man. So I cannot wait to see what happens there. Well, Shaq, let's break down this whole card start to finish, my man, because first up in the Bantamweight division, we got Jonathan Martinez versus Waligi Buren. And Jonathan Martinez, he's 9-2. Waligi Buren is 11-6. Currently, they got Jonathan Martinez minus 160. The comeback on Waligi Buren is plus 140. So I got to know your thoughts on the matchup in the line, man. Yeah, it's interesting to see that Martinez is staying at 135, you know, considering that he's a former flyweight in his debut against Sukumtach. You know, uh, Sukumtach is definitely a more experienced guy, definitely more UFC experience, uh, and, you know, it showed throughout the fight, man. Martinez seemed like he was a fish out of water. He's definitely very green. But, uh, you know, he is trying to do the necessary adjustments. He did go out to Factory X before this fight. Uh, you know, to, so maybe he comes a little better. Maybe he comes uh, maybe a not-so-nervous. I, I mean, Sukumtash for a debut is uh, 
might be a little bit too much, but the fact that Sukum Touch, you know, a guy who's known for, you know, just being a one-shot Muay Thai guy, the fact that he a low-volume guy um, as well, the fact that he able to just pretty much walk him down and, you know, do whatever he wanted to the kid pretty much. I know Martinez got a couple of takedowns, but I think that was just due to Andre being so tired from, uh, you know, from all the punches he landed. But so I do have my uh you know, I am a little skeptical if Martinez is ready for the UFC level. And Waligi, on the other hand, man, he's had a tough UFC career. He did lose that fight uh, to Rolando D at 145. And Rolando was just the more physical striker in that sense, man. He just landed the harder shots. 145 versus uh, a Bantamweight. I mean, uh, the size showed, the power of the shots showed, and he lost that fight. It was a good showing. And in his fight against Vera, he did fairly well in the first round, got a few takedowns. And against a guy like Vera, who's a lot more seasoned than Jonathan Martinez, a lot more experienced Martinez, you know, the uh, the holes in Waligi's game are going to get exposed. And the holes is that, you know, sometimes uh, against these level, these physical guys that uh, these experienced guys like D and uh, Vera, you know, uh, sometimes they can kind of make him freeze up when he uh, gets hit because he's not as physically strong as those guys, man. So, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting, man. I actually think there is some value on Waligi. You know, I think Martinez is a tough kid. You know, he's uh, somewhat of a good prospect, definitely could come better. But he's also very green, man. He's got a lot to learn. He's got a long ways to go to uh, succeed in this uh, Bantamweight division, especially at Bantamweight, man. So I'm actually going to take Waligi as an underdog pick. I think he's a more... uh, well, I think he's a more well-rounded fighter. I think uh, he definitely is going to have to keep it together for 15 minutes this time, which is uh, something he hasn't been able to do. But I think his opponent isn't going to present as much danger as Orlando D and Cheeto Vera. You know, I definitely think Martinez is going to test him a little bit. But I think the experience of Aligi, the fact that he's fought better competition than Martinez, and the fact that, you know, this is his third time, maybe he's a little more comfortable fighting uh, in Australia. It's closer to home. So uh, I'm going to take uh, Waligi in a uh, upset. Yeah, I feel you on that pick, man, because Jonathan Martinez, firstly, he's a natural flyweight, so he's already going to be too small for Bantamweight. A lot of the issues that Waligi was having was, you know, he fought at 145 pounds versus Orlando Adai. I know D's not the best guy around, but there are weight classes for a reason, and Waligi was simply the smaller man in that fight. So then he goes against uh, Marlon Chitovera, and initially... He was supposed to fight Barrett Candere, and that was going to be Waligi Burns' first UFC win. But then they put him in there with the 10-fight veteran, Marlon Chito Vera, and look, it went how it went. I mean, Waligi, he was finding a home for his right hand, landed some nice takedowns. Unfortunately, one of the issues he's had in the past is that he can't maintain that pace for all three rounds, and Marlon got to him, man. But I'm not convinced that Jonathan Martinez will get to him because it seems to me like Martinez might not quite be ready for this level right now. He might need a couple more fights on the regional scene, get that seasoning, because like you were talking about, against Andre Sukumtut, look, there's no shame in losing to a guy that's that much more experienced than you. It's the way that he lost. Andre Sukumtut's known for being a guy that will get his ass kicked the entire time, close his eyes, and land a counter shot and knock you out like he did to Luke Sanders. But the fact that Andre Sukumtut's beating this kid pillar to post, bell to bell. I mean, that just let me know that Martinez wasn't on this level. And yeah, he landed a takedown in round two. Of course he landed a takedown. When Andre Sukumtut is beating your ass for seven straight minutes, of course he's going to need one little minute to take a little breather. So yeah, Martinez took him down. But I don't think Martinez is just going to be able to take Waligi down that easily. Maybe when he does slow down, because he does tend to slow down. But bottom line, I think Waligi takes two of the three rounds, wins this, wins this decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jalen Turner. He's minus 245. The comeback on Callan Potter is plus 205. Uh, Shaq, I, 
I got to make sure I tell you their records first. I got to stick to the new format. Callan Potter is 17 and 7, Jalen Turner 7 and 4. So the underdog is much more experienced. The underdog is from Australia. This fight's in Australia. Jalen Turner is one of the taller guys at 155 pounds. He's 6 foot 3. But interestingly enough, he's fighting a guy in Potter who's 6 foot 1. So the height's not going to be too big of a difference here. In fact, this might actually be the tallest guy that Jalen Turner's ever fought because he's probably used to beating up on much shorter men. And, uh, man, Jalen Turner, look, he's got the physical attributes, six foot three, he's athletic, he's a specimen, but dude, he's been KO'd stiff four times in his career. And there's a reason behind that. Obviously, his chin isn't the best, but the way he fights, he loves to do a 15-minute pace in the first round. I mean, the guy likes to come in there, throw everything but the kitchen sink, and sometimes he's going to get guys out of there. Look, most, all of his wins are first-round finishes. Anytime this guy has been past the first round, he has lost. And he's also lost in the first round as well. He's been stopped many times. So, man, my thing with Jalen Turner is I know he's got the potential, but I'm also questioning, similar to Jonathan Martinez, I'm questioning if he's ready for the UFC right this second. And with Callan Potter, he's a, you know, I know a lot of people are going to call him an Australian uh, journeyman. And, you know, maybe to an extent you're right, but the dude definitely brings a lot to the table. First of all, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He trains with Dan Kelly and with Jim Crute. So, you know, he's trained with good guys over there in Australia. And for the longest time, a lot of people were saying that Callan Potter should have been in the UFC a couple of years ago. They're saying that this is a little bit too late. For the longest time, it was Dan Kelly and Callan Potter who were the mentors and the role models for all the young up-and-coming guys in Australia. It's just that Dan Kelly got to the UFC and Callan Potter didn't until this point. So now that he is, everyone kind of views it as this was a long time coming. Like this guy's paid his dues. He's won nine of his last ten fights. And I know he got stopped by Marcin Held via heel hook. Listen, that, that shit will happen from time to time. At least he didn't take any, you know, chin damage. And Getting stopped by a heel hook against Marcin Held doesn't mean shit when you're fighting Jalen Turner. It comes down to the stand-up skills. Now, obviously, Jalen is going to be the faster, more athletic guy. But one thing I'll say about Callan Potter is that he doesn't get into unnecessary exchanges. He fights with his hands up. He's meat and potatoes. I know he looks like an old man and stuff, but but just like Dan Kelly looked like an old man, just because they look like that doesn't mean they can't go out there and whoop some ass because you saw my boy Dan Kelly finish Antonio Carlos Jr. So as far as this matchup's concerned, I think that Callan Potter does close the distance. He's got to be careful early. And I think he gets him down, I think he takes his back, and I think he chokes him out. So I'm going to go with the hometown underdog, Callan Potter, here for the upset. Yeah, he makes some good points, Turner. He definitely likes to mismanage his uh, cardio in that Mustaki fight. I mean, that was a 15-minute pace inside one round. He definitely left a lot of openings that uh, you know a lot better punchers uh, would probably knock him out towards the end of that first round. And Vicente, the Vicente fighter thought he was going technique for technique fairly well but you know when you're in there with a guy like Vicente with that power one shot uh you might be looking up at the lights uh Calvin Potter seems like a tough guy definitely paid his dues seems like he's very patient uh very defensively aware so that's a good thing he's got going for him what I'm a little skeptical of is this uh is his offense enough to uh to take Turner out in the late rounds. You know, I think uh, Turner's an athletic guy that, uh, you know, he's still a young man, growing, growing, fight to fight. You know, he uh, might gain a little bit more skills. So uh, I'm going to take Jalen Turner actually by decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Lando Venata. He's minus 410. And the comeback on Marcos Rosa is plus 330. Now, Shaq, when Anderson Silva took this fight against Israel Adesanya, he made two demands. 
The first demand was, if I win this fight, I better get the next title shot. And the second demand was, if I am to fight Israel Adesanya, the UFC need to sign my friend, Marcos Rosa. Well, they just signed his friend, Marcos Rosa. He's a plus 330 underdog to Lando Venata. Now, the thing here, Shaq, is that Venata... He doesn't seem to win UFC fights. He's 1-5. I know it's officially 1-3-2, and two, but between you and me, uh, two draws, those aren't wins, Shaq. Those, uh, he's 1-3-2 and two in the UFC. So I got to know, man, you think he's finally going to get his second UFC win here? Or do you think uh, the newcomer, Marcos Rosa, who is a six foot two former welterweight, can come out here and give uh, Lando Venata some issues? Yeah, you know, I think pretty much anything can give Lando Venata issues at this point. Um, the thing is, Marcos Rosa really realistically doesn't belong in the UFC granted uh he is friends with uh Anderson Silva but he's got no get up game his he's got good technique he's definitely uh you can definitely tell he's been training with Anderson throughout his career but uh I mean look nothing with Lando Venado would surprise me there's no way in hell I would ever bet Lando as as a big favorite but Marcos Rosa this guy definitely needs a lot of work but uh, Lando, man, I think he's still gifted offensively like we saw in the Frivola fight. But the thing is, he t- seems like he turns into a mummy and uh, starts eating a lot of punishment. The thing with Marcos Rosa, it seems like he's a very strict, uh, disciplined Muay Thai fighter that uh, doesn't necessarily uh, you know, let everything go. seems like he just likes to be very technical and patient. So and it plays, it's going to be an just because you know, I don't think Marcos Rosa is ready for the UFC. But not, like I said, nothing would surprise me. I, I think Lando, there's a good chance Lando tries to give uh, Marcos Rosa every opportunity to win this fight. So uh, nothing would surprise me. So who you got, man? Uh, Lando Venata. So he's picking Lando Venata. Look, after that night when Lando Venata fought Drakkar Close, I mean, I basically lost all my trust in, in him. It's not because he took an L. Look, many fighters take an L. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the fact that from bell to bell, he literally didn't fight at all, man. He let Drakkar dictate the pace from the start. And between you and me, Shaq, we knew that fight was over from the first calf kick. So, you know, I I don't know if those fights with Tony Ferguson and just the war with Tamor, the Bobby Green fight, I don't know if that took out so much from his soul that he's not able to put on the performances that he used to because... Coming into the UFC, he was an undefeated fighter. He goes in there with Tony Ferguson, and no shame in losing to, you know, the former interim champ, Tony Ferguson, in your UFC debut on short notice. He went out there, got a fight of the night. After that, the knockout of John McDessey, we were all like, yes, this is the Lando Venata we've all been expecting. But since that point, he never won a fight ever again. It's been four fights in a row, and it's uh, he comes out super hard. The trend is always the same, Shaq. He comes out super hard in that first round, but doesn't pace himself. Will throw uh, cartwheel head kicks, shit you've never seen before. Shit that will get guys out on the regional scene, but when you start doing that in the UFC, you hit the guy with your hardest shot, he still doesn't go down. Then you start to gas out, then you start to question yourself. That's why I think Lando Venata hasn't been getting the result that he wants. And with Marcos Rosa, he's got a lot of work you know, to be... To, to succeed in the UFC because he's coming into the UFC already somewhat inexperienced. He made that transition from kickboxing to mixed martial arts. And Shaq, we already know the deal with these guys transitioning from kickboxing to, to mixed martial arts. I mean, you uh, you take them down one time and that round is over. They are not getting back up. And that's going to be the case here. It's just that can you trust Lando Venata to use his D1 wrestling skill 
and take this guy down to the ground where he has an easy path to victory because everything we've seen from from Lando is he loves to stand and trade. Well, Marcos Rosa is a former kickboxing world champion. But that being said, the distance in MMA is so different. The gloves, just everything. So that's why some of these former champion kickboxers, they they come to MMA and it doesn't translate. So I'm I'm very curious. It comes down to Lando Lando's approach. Is he going to let Marcos Rosa have the fight he wants or is he going to disrupt that, take him down to the mat and show him that there are levels to this shit? So I think Lando is the rightful favorite, but I would sure as hell not lay minus 410 on him in this spot. So it's honestly a dog or pass situation here, man. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Kyung Ho Kang. He's minus 410 and the comeback on Teruto Ishihara is plus 330. Shaq, everyone's saying this is a foregone conclusion that Kyung Ho Kang is just going to come out here and uh, turn up on Teruto Ishihara. I got to know, man. Do you feel that, that same way as well? Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily – I don't know about turn up. Look, I just think Teruto Ishihara – uh, is a very, very mentally fragile fighter. You know, I think that uh, he's a very, he's a guy that can get deterred very easily. Um, you know, uh, I think his cardio is very suspect. One thing Teru does have going for him, he does have power in his left hand. But the thing is, you know, although he's got power in that left hand, when things get done unto him, he just seems to break. This guy got 30-26 by Gray Maynard in like a couple years ago. That's embarrassing, you know. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, the Peter Yan fight, you know, the damage is done. But uh, I think Kyung Ho should is good enough to come out here, take care of business, whether that be by taking his back. He did show that uh, he can still scramble with guys like Ramos and uh, at least take care of business against guys like Guido Canetti in the first round. Um, he had, Those are his only two fights in the last uh, four years, but he's still getting in a groove of things. He's definitely a little older than what he used to be, but mostly I just think the fight comes down to Teru just being mentally fragile. I think uh, he breaks very easily, so I got Kyung Ho Kang. Yeah, I mean, you obviously bring up some good points, but similar to the last fight, I think it all comes down to Kyung Ho Kang's approach once again because – Look, we can say all we want about if you push that pace on Teruto Ishihara. Yes, he has broken in the past, but one thing he brings to the table is that guy has a very nice pull uh, left hand. I mean, his pull counters in those first two UFC fights when he knocked those guys out, I know, granted, they were lower-level guys, but hey, that was definitely some skill involved there to get those kind of KOs that he did. But as far as Kyung Ho Kang's concerned, I mean, the guy's obviously the more well-rounded fighter here, no doubt about it. But if he decides to stand and bang with with uh, Teruto Ishihara, he will give Ishihara somewhat of a chance to to potentially win this fight. So while I do favor Kyung Ho Kang, I definitely don't favor him at minus 410. I'm thinking more minus 250, minus 300. Minus 410 is a bit of a stretch. So at this current line, man, I do think it's dog or pass. However... I'm personally not going to be taking that underdog shot because I do not trust Teruto Ishihara dating back to the fight you mentioned, the Gray Maynard fight, where I was thinking, look, uh, he's got a walking corpse in front of him. Let's just go out there, touch him on the chin one time, the fight's over. He didn't even touch him. He didn't even throw a single punch the entire fight. So I was just like, man, I cannot trust this guy with my money ever again. But I think that Kyung Ho Kang is not going to try to lay on him. I think Kyung Ho Kang is going to give him the war he wants, but I simply think Kyung Ho Kang is the tougher guy and he will prevail in that spot. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Kai Kara France. He's minus 310. The comeback on the newcomer, Rulian Paiva, is plus 255. Now, Shaq, Kai Kara France has an 18-7 and record, and Rulian Paiva is making his UFC debut with an 18-1 and record. You don't often see guys making their debuts with an 18-1 and record. And not to mention, 
they're trying to get rid of the flyweight division. So the fact that they signed this kid, who is a flyweight, he's 18-1, that shows me that not – listen, what, whatever's going on behind the scenes, we don't know the full story because the fact that last week they signed that 14-1 and flyweight, Hogerio Bontarin, who went on to beat Magomed Bibulatov. Now they signed another one who's 18-1. and Shaq, they're still signing flyweights even though they say that division's over. So I got to know, man, you think the 18-1 and uh, newcomer can get the win here in his debut? Yeah, it's a good fight, man. Kai Car France looked uh, good in his debut against uh, Ilias Garcia, you know. Uh, and, you know, we know about Kai Car France from Tough. He had that KO over Terrence Mitchell, uh, and then he fought Pantoja. And we know he's a. Uh, He's got a reputation of being, uh, I guess, a power puncher. He's definitely very experienced, trains at a good gym. And Raleigh on Paiva, on the other hand, definitely uh, 18-1. and one. I mean, that says it all right there. Uh, long flyweight from Brazil. And he didn't fight cans in Brazil either. He definitely fought, uh, you know, respectable guys. He's coming off a win against a 17-5 and five guy on the Contender Series in a in a great war, and this fight kind of reminded me of Bontarine's fight on Contender Series, you know, just a, a, a spirited war where, you know, both guys get tested mentally and uh, have to deal with adversity, and Paiva, man, this guy takes care of business, Kaikar France, I think he's a, you know, a good puncher, definitely experienced, but, you know, I think Kaikar France, uh, it, it, I think there's two different types of Kaikar Francis, you know, I think there's the Kai Car France that's out in the open throwing all his strikes, you know, catching guys, knocking guys out. And, you know, that's against guys like, you know, Elias Garcia, who, quite frankly, you know, didn't really belong in the UFC. You know, those guys were 5-1, and one, not much stand-up. And he still dropped them. And, you know, he's a jiu-jitsu guy. We saw the De La Rosa fight. I mean, Elias Garcia, and he's not in the UFC anymore. And against uh, Pantoja, we saw what happened when, uh, you know, a, cra a crazy wild Brazilian started charging at him. And he uh, kind of, he just didn't have the enough output to win the decision. He, Pantoja definitely uh, kind of spooked him a little bit, but Pantoja definitely had the threat of the takedown. I think uh, Paiva and Kaikar France, you know, uh, the way they got aligned is that Kaikar France is, you know, a clear clear step ahead of them and if that's the case then that's the case but uh i don't think so man i think these guys are on a fairly even playing field i think guys 18 and 1 i mean that says a lot i think uh it's definitely a dog or pass situation i think kaikar france definitely has got some sting in his punches but you know i think uh paiva can you know change the type of fight you know i think like i said there's two different type of kaikar francis you know when you push him back and you get aggressive with him and you make it a war i think he kind of shies away but i think when he's aggressive and he's able to just walk guys down and you know knock guys out he's, he's really good so i i think uh paiva's gonna make this a spirited war i think he's gonna test kaikara france right off the bat like he does he likes to come out take the center and start throwing punches i think this guy's got good boxing he can scramble he can get up i don't think this is one of the situations where uh he's gonna get laid on or anything you know i think the only chance he you know the kaikara france the one real good thing he has got going for him is his power but uh I don't think he has that power moving back. So I'm actually going to take Paiva in an upset, man. I think they're uh, underrating this guy. Yeah, one thing I'll say about Kaikara France is obviously from a technical standpoint, the dude brings it. He's over there in Australia training with Israel Adesanya and the whole crew. So he's definitely got a great gym behind him, and he's also very experienced. So 
If you're uh, not quite up to par and you're fighting a guy like Kai Car of France, he will go out there. He will put that Muay Thai clinic on you. And he's well he's well rounded too, man. He's been fighting for a very long time. If he needs to mix it up, take you to the mat, he's able to do that as well. However, what I have seen from Kai Car of France is that if you're willing to stand up to him, his mindset does change a little bit, you know, because he's not really known. And I say this, he's coming off a fight of the night against Elias Pettis and stuff, but he's not really known for those back and forth fights, man. And I know someone's going to give me shit because he just got a fight of the night. But what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, he's a guy that's had about 25 pro fights and he's going to back and forth fights with guys who have only had five pro fights, guys that, you know, Elias Pettis, his name's Elias Garcia, but you know, he's Pettis' younger cousin. So I call him Elias Pettis, but look, against Elias Pettis, who has no business in the UFC, you can't be getting dropped by guys like that, and against Pantoja, who, Pantoja is amazing, by the way, but that fight became a battle of wills, and the will of the Brazilian uh, persevered in that spot, man, so I definitely think that with Kai Kara France, if you stand up to this guy, that you can beat him, it's just about, because he has 25 pro fights, he is so experienced, if you're not quite ready for him, you know, he will go out there, put that clinic on you. But that being said, now he's fighting a kid making his debut with an 18-1 and record. When you talk about being 18-1, and that means that he has paid his dues on that regional scene. And I know that some Brazilians come into the UFC with super padded records, but I don't think this kid's one of them, man. If you go back and you watch those fights, also the Contender Series fight, that was a fucking back-and-forth war, a split decision, a fight where his heart was tested, his grappling, his striking, everything. You had to see, is this kid the real deal or not making his UFC debut? Because remember when Tomas Almeida made that UFC debut with, I believe, a 19-1 record, a 20-1 record? You know, I thought it was the most amazing thing, but a lot of people were telling me, like, dude, he's a can crusher. His record is completely padded. So that's something you got to look into with these guys making their debuts. And I don't think that Rowley and Paiva padded his record, man. I think that this guy took the tough fights on the Brazilian regional scene. I think that he's also got some size for the flyweight division. You don't often see flyweights that are five foot eight. That means that's like the equivalent of a you know a six foot one lightweight. That means that he's the long, tall guy for that division. And one thing I'll say about him, he does start a little bit slow. So I think that Kai Car France is gonna get off on some leg kicks early. He is gonna start landing some nice combos. You're going to hear his coaches be like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, uh, when, when he starts landing those shots. But once he starts to slow down, Rolian Paiva is not the kind of guy that's going to get discouraged from that, you know, opening storm that Kai Car France brings to the table. He's the kind of guy that will take that ass whooping up front, come back in the second and third round, and you start to slow down on a guy like Rolian Paiva, and he will tee off on you. And that's something I have noticed in Kai Car France's fights that everything has to be going perfect for this guy in order for him to go out there and get that win. He does have seven defeats on his professional record, Shaq. I think it's about to be eight defeats, my man. I'm going to go with Rolian Paiva for the upset in his UFC debut here. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Shane Young. He's minus 335. The comeback on Austin Arnett is plus 275. Shaq, I think from the jump, we kind of thought Shane Young was going to win this fight and be a favorite. My, my question here is, did you think he was going to be a minus 335 favorite? Yeah, yeah, I guess it was a little surprising uh, to see him lying this high. Um, you know, I, I do think he's going to win this fight. You know, I think Arnett's a tough guy. I think he's good at, I think he's got a good chin. I think he's good at taking punishment. But, uh, you know, I think he was a beneficiary of uh, Humberto Ben and I being a complete fraud. You know, I think uh, Humberto, <laughs> I think, uh, Humberto Ben and I 
Uh, I mean, if you've seen some of the stuff that that guy's done on the on the local scene, you know, you wouldn't be shocked at what he did against uh, Arnett. And you know, props to Arnett. He took care of business. He got his first UFC win. And I, like I said, I think Arnett's tough. I think, uh, you know, he'll walk guys down. It's just uh, he's slow. He's not very athletic. His you know offense isn't that hard. So you know, I, I definitely think Shane Young uh, has the is the more uh, dangerous fighter. I think Shane Young. Definitely got a lot better in between the Volkanovski and Orlando D fight. That's for sure. He's definitely he's been training at that camp as well uh, with Israel and Hooker and France and them. So you know he's definitely uh, improving. He's got a big chin, but uh, that big chin can take a lot of punishment as well, man. Uh, he's got a great chin. He's very durable. So you know I think Shane Young is going to be the tough guy. I think he's going to you know just. I don't, just kind of rough Arnett up a little bit, just land the harder shots. But I think uh, there's a chance Arnett uh, gets finished. But I also think there's a chance that Arnett, you know, shows his toughness again. So, uh, but I got Shane Young by decision. Yeah, Shane Young was very impressive in uh, his first UFC win against Rolando D. He's the kind of guy that'll push the pace on you from bell to bell, and he does not seem to get tired. Now, what's interesting about this matchup is, like you mentioned, Austin Arnett does have a granite chin, so. Sometimes with these guys that do take that ass whooping up front, you slow down on them, they will come back in that third and final round, but I haven't really seen too many signs that Shane Young has a cardio issue or a pacing issue or anything like that. Seems like he can go three hard, and that's what you need in this spot against Austin Arnett. Look, Austin Arnett, he definitely had a very padded record on the regional scene. You look at those opponents that he was fighting, and you know, all of them were sub 500, and it, it was quite bad. But then he came to the UFC. I know Brandon Davis put that clinic on him. Obviously, Corey Sanhagen. Well, you want to talk about clinics. The real cl uh, clinic was what uh, Corey Sanhagen did to him. But after that, against Humberto Bandene, he came through as a big underdog. I know it was a close fight. He kind of edged out the second and third round. I think Shane Young has a little bit too much tenacity for him, a little bit too much ferocity. Maybe not firepower, but just the pace he pushes, the output, I think it's going to be too much volume for Austin Arnett. And most likely a 30-27, but it could be a 29-28. I mean, if Shane Young beats his ass to the point where he starts getting tired in that third round, maybe Austin Arnett can come back, make it a 29-28. But that being said, I definitely think the, the favorite Shane Young uh, rolls here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Devante Kincaid-Smith. He's minus 250. And the comeback on Dong Young Maestro Kim is plus 210. Shaq, this is going to be an unbelievable fight because obviously Devontae Smith made a lot of waves in his UFC debut with that beautiful first round KO. Also knocked out his opponent on Contender Series, a guy we've been hearing about for a long time. He's taking on the Maestro Dong Young Kim, who very, very tough guy. I know you remember his brawl, his fight of the night with Polo Reyes, but more recently... He's been taking a safer approach. He's been taking less shots. So I got to know, man, do you think Dong Young Kim can grind out a win over Devontae Smith here? Yeah, my show's an extremely tough guy. He's come a long way from those first two UFC losses. He's definitely realized that he uh, needed to mix it up a little bit, use his judo skills. And Devontae Smith, this guy's a serious athlete, man. This guy's seriously fast. He's got big power in his hands. He's improving fight to fight. I know he's got that uh, loss to Gunther on his record, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, look, Gunther, uh, he's a tough guy, man. Gunther's got a, a, a serious chin. Um, 
But uh, Smith, he's bounced back from that fight. He switched camps. He's also out there in, uh, at Factory X. And, I mean, the way the way he's been looking out in the open in space, man, this guy's extremely fast, man. So, you know, I think Maestro definitely needs to get this to the ground. Or, but, you know, if Maestro uh, <clears throat> wants to go to war with him, you know, we still don't fully know what Miss uh, Chen is like in a war. We don't know how his heart's like in a war. We don't know how his takedown defense is in a war. So, you know, uh, that's I guess that's something my show might be able to exploit. But uh, I, I think Smith's going to be too powerful, too fast. I think my show in the early stages in this fight needs to be very careful because uh, one stake against, against Smith, it might be over. He might be screaming early stoppage, man. So, you know, uh, I am going to pick Devontae Smith, but... You know, uh, as far as the betting perspective, it is a dog or pass situation. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I've uh, been very impressed with Devontae Smith. And it's funny because you go back and listen to my last uh, breakdown of one of his fights against Arosa. And, you know, I was talking a lot of shit about that John Gunther loss. But one thing I will say, you know, because no matter what, he's what he's 9-1, 10-1 now. Even if he goes 20-1, that John Gunther loss will always be on that record. But that being said, man, for a kid that's as talented as him as athletic and is as hard of a worker, more importantly, as he is, I think that two years is plenty of time to make night and day improvements. Because obviously, with that Gunther fight, it wasn't because he was the war he was, you know, not the better fighter or anything like that. He whooped the dude's ass and gassed out to a point where he had nothing when he got taken down. So that's an issue that can be corrected for a young fighter. And Obviously, you mentioned he switched camps, which was the step that he needed to take. And now, uh, you know, it's funny. I was watching that fight against Erosa with with the number one lightweight in Georgia, Robert King Hale. And he had never seen that fight before. And he was calling for the finishing combo the entire time. He was saying 1-2, 1-2. And then two seconds later, Devante did land that 1-2. And he knocked out Erosa out cold. So... I mean, this kid, Devontae Smith, uh, if he lands on your chin, you might be waking up looking up at the lights. And Dong Young Kim has been KO'd more than once in his UFC career. So, man, Dong Young Kim, it comes down to that approach, man. Because if he comes out here like he did against Polo Reyes and wants to show how tough his chin is, wants to show that I don't care if your name is King Cage, I can stand and bang with you too. It might be Dong Young Kim that's looking up at the lights, but if Dong Young Kim decides he wants to start diving on some legs, he wants to make this a grueling, grinding decision, he might have some success. But that being said, I got Devontae Smith via knockout. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Jimmy the Brute Crew. He's minus 130, and the comeback on Sam Alby is plus 110. Shaq, uh, Sam Alby's had 16 UFC fights. This is Jim Crute's second UFC fight, but he is the favorite here. I got to know your perspective. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Jim Crude had a had a good uh, debut against Paul Craig in the manner in which he beat him to beat him by submission. Uh, that was definitely great. Um, as far as this fight's concerned, hmm, I don't know if that fight's really that relevant. Uh, Paul Craig, you know, I think he's a tough guy, but I, I do think he's very low level. And the fact that, you know, him and Crude had a, a fairly tough fight uh, makes me assume... Uh, uh, Crute's around that level. He's still got a long ways to go. He's definitely improving. He's young. He's going to be improving. Uh, definitely couldn't be improving at a rapid rate. Uh, I mean, this guy, I mean, I've heard him say willingly that he likes to take damage. He likes to eat punches, and uh, he hopes that this fight's a bloodbath. And, I mean, that's the type of, you know, mental game he has. He's definitely a very tough, aggressive guy. Um, I think his stand-up's powerful. I definitely think he leaves a lot of openings. Uh, 
definitely likes to keep his left hand down a little bit. But uh, one thing he's got going for him is aggression, especially in this fight. Aggression, hunger, you know, volume. Alvi, we know, will just sit back with his back on the fence. Um, you know, the thing with Alvi is, you know, uh, it it sounds it sounds easy. Um, it definitely sounds the game plan to beat Alvi has been laid out. I mean, all you have to do is pretty much tip and run against this guy, and he, he's going to lose a decision. You know, uh, you know, it's these guys that stand in front of him and you know make these stupid mistakes that uh, like Volante, like Marcin Prachnio, like uh, or guys with you know suspect chins like Marcourt, uh you know these guys that you know stand in front of them and you know they want to bang it out for 15 minutes of course there's been a couple guys like little nog uh, uh derek bronson that do end up knocking them out but these guys that want to stand up with them 15 minutes and you know push them with that back on the fence and go combo for combo you know sometimes they end up getting dropped and the the fact of the matter is he's 10 and 6 and you know a lot of those guys have gone on a loss um you know it's the guys that stick to the game plan and when you look at those type of guys they're very you know very disciplined guys uh, i know he does have the loss to tom watson on his uh on his record but you know ufc debut but as of recently man you know it's been the ramazan amives you know uh the guys that you know are very patient know when to pick their shots my only skepticism in this fight is uh, Jimmy Crude is very aggressive, and I think there's a chance that, you know, the the percentages of Alvi being able to land that one clean counter shot might be, you know, raised up a little bit as in comparison to his other fights, like against Ramazan, Elias, etc. One thing I'll definitely say is if Crude doesn't get caught or doesn't get consistently dropped in two of the three rounds, that he'll most likely win this fight because Alvi's output is severely low so that's definitely one thing that guy that uh crude has going for him but with that being said it's a, it sounds a lot easier uh than it actually is so you know i am gonna go with crude by decision but uh his striking defense definitely worries me uh, I, I definitely think uh you know he can take alvi down here and there but i don't think he's gonna be able to keep alvi down and I think that could possibly, you know, lead to him getting tired and to leading him to making a bigger mistake, you know, trying to close the distance. So, you know, I am a little uh, skeptical, but I do think, you know, 185 Alvi and 205 Alvi, you know, I think he might be a little bit chinnier. So at 205, but uh, in hindsight, man, little Nog only loses to the best, man. So, you know, uh, we'll see, man, but I will go by, with crew by decision. Man, I cannot wait for this fight. You know, I've been impressed with uh, Jimmy the Brute Crew since I saw that Contender Series fight. And for everyone listening at home, you might need to watch that fight without the the commentary because Paul Felder's commentary that Jim Crew fight was absolutely atrocious to a point where I just couldn't believe it. I mean, Jim Crew's teeing off on this guy, hitting him with everything but the kitchen sink, leg kicks, high kicks, body shots, spins, everything. And Paul Felder was shitting on him. Paul Felder was talking about what the other guy was doing. The other guy's getting his ass beat. So I just, uh, you gotta, you gotta turn down uh, Paul Felder's commentary, no doubt about it. Because what I saw from Jim Crute in that fight was, I saw a young kid who was trying to emulate Rob Whitaker style, who was trying to dart in there with big left hooks, finish up the the combinations with leg kicks, mix it up to the head with the high kick, and. You know what's something you need to, to beat a guy like Sam Alvey, right? It's a high volume of kicks because the blueprint's been laid since his UFC debut on how to beat this guy. Yeah, if you walk forward with your hands down, you want to stand in the pocket with Sam Alvey, it's going to be 50-50. He has a very 
hard right hand counter. He catches you with that right hook. Chances are you will go to sleep, but you come in here with the right game plan. You leg kick this guy. You circle on the outside. You mix in your jabs, your straight punches, and from time to time, mix in a couple takedowns too. I think you can beat this guy. And people talk about how Sam Alvey has this great defense. No doubt about it. Statistically speaking, 84%. You can't argue that. You can't. You can't say shit. That's a great takedown defense. But if we're all, if we're gonna sit here and act like we've never seen him get taken down before, that would be a lie as well. Because wh what about that time when he fought my boy Rashad Evans? And that wasn't Rashad Evans' uh, championship run, Sugar Rashad. I'm talking about Rashad on the losing streak, past his prime, two fights away from retirement. That guy was taking down Sam Alvey. Okay, not to mention one judge thought Gian Vellante beat Sam Alvey. One judge thought that Rashad Evans in 2017 beat Sam Alvey. So the guy's having very competitive fights with fighters that he should be walking through, man. And that being said, with Jim Crute, again, like you said, it might be kind of simple. It comes down to can Jim Crute avoid getting caught with that counter right hand? I think he does, man. I think that when you have a guy like Sam Greco as your head coach, and you guys don't know about Sam Greco, this is a guy that back in the day went to a split decision with Lyoto Machida. So, you know, he's got guys in there that Jim Crute's got guys coaching him that know the game, know to come in with a proper game plan. And you saw his last fight against Paul Craig. And it's funny because going into that fight, I mentioned how Jim Crute is a brown belt under John Jacques Machado. So if that fight were to hit the ground, we'd be completely fine. It turned out we were right. I mean, we swept him, submitted him the whole bit. That was a different kind of fight because you know Paul Craig's going to shoot from the second the bell rings. Well, Sam Alvey's not going to shoot. Sam Alvey's going to back himself up into the fence, look for that counter the entire time. So Jim Crute just has to be aware of that. Look, man, don't keep my left hand down when I'm exiting the pocket. Don't let him get off on a counter right hand, and we win this fight nine times out of ten. So I definitely got Jim Crute here, but I don't have him by decision. I have him via knockout. Now, if it does go to the scorecards, we are in Australia. Jim Crute's backyard, historically speaking, Sam Alvey doesn't do the best when fights go to decision. So I know, you know, in our back pocket, if we go to the scorecards, Crute will win that. I also know that Crute is a brown belt and has a better jujitsu than Sam Alvey. We hit the mat, we're fine there too. But you and I both know this is going to be a stand-up fight and they're probably going to stand and trade until one man falls or three straight rounds. So for that reason, I do have Jim Crute via knockout. I believe it'll be a head kick KO. But if they go three, I have him winning a decision as well. Now, next up in the women's flyweight division, we got Montana De La Rosa. She's minus 260, and the comeback on Nadia Kassam is plus 220. Now, Shaq, I know we cashed that Nadia Kassam in her UFC debut against Alex Chambers, but she ain't fighting Alex Chambers no more, so I got to know, man. You think she's going to come through as a plus 220 dog here, or do you think the minus 260 favorite rolls? Yeah, you know, I think Nadia Kassam is also another fighter with a lot of work to do. Um... I think uh, her fight with Chambers is just a beneficiary of Chambers being, you know, a soccer mom that, you know, is just not going to win a UFC fight, man. So, you know, that's why we better, uh, uh, yeah, that's why we better in that spot, man. Uh, you know, I think Chambers is, is pretty much a dud. So, you know, I think uh, De La Rosa's got this fight pretty much in the bag. I think there's a big gap in between the two in wrestling. You know, uh, De La Rosa's got some serious wrestling credentials. You know, of course, <clears throat> there's a chance... Uh, She's gonna have to escape an armbar too, but uh, you know I think uh, I think De La Rosa is just the more well-rounded fighter at this stage, the more developed fighter, the more experienced fighter. You know Nadia has only been past the one-minute mark in a fight once, and that one time, like I said, was against Alex Chambers. So 
Uh, I, I got De La Rosa winning this fight. I think, uh, you know, uh, Kasim could, you know, have some success with that left kick here and there. But I just think uh, there's a big gap in between the two in wrestling. You know, I think Montana's got that takedown in her back pocket in this fight. So I'm going to go with uh, Montana by... I'm going to actually say finish. Montana by finish. You know, Shaq, initially when this fight was a dead pick on the opener, I was like, oh, man, I got to bet Montana here. But now that heavy action has come in on Montana De La Rosa, she's a minus 260 favorite. When she opened, minus 120, Shaq. So now, even though I am favoring Montana, I am thinking that this is a dog or pass situation. And I also want to bring up a couple things. So Montana De La Rosa, obviously we know she has this fight with Nadia Kasim this Saturday in Australia. She She's on her uh, Twitter calling out Paige Van Zandt. I believe she's completely overlooking her opponent in this spot, and she's looking to what's next. And, you know, against Nadia Kasim, maybe she can get away with it because when we saw Kasim in her debut, green to the point where you and I were like, she probably does need to go back to that regional scene and get, get some more experience because the person she fought was Alex Chambers who, you know – like you said, man, as a soccer mom, Alex Chambers will lose every UFC fight she's in. Uh, she's brought in to lose a sacrificial lamb. That's what Nadia got, and it was still a 29-28 decision, Shaq. We were expecting a first-round submission, no problem, and it was a very, very close fight. As far as Montana De La Rosa, I want to sit here and act like first takedown, the fight's going to be over shortly after, but I'm just not convinced that that's the case, man. I mean, Montana was having a very close fight. I say close. It, it was back and forth. With uh, Rachel Ostovich, who's a sub five hundred fighter, man, she's got a four and five record. But, dude. Uh, real, real quick though, look what Ostovich was doing to Paige Van Zandt before she quit. <laughs> Very true, but you know, I mean, how do you rate Paige Van Zandt though? You know what I'm saying? But that's true; it did happen. We cannot deny these facts. But it's just, uh, I'm not convinced that this is going to be the bell to bell domination that everyone's making it out to be. At a pick on price, yeah, I favor Montana De La Rosa for all the issues we've mentioned with Nadia Kasim. You know, she's only 4-1, man. She's she's barely had five fights, dude, and she's in the UFC. Not, not, not to mention, not to mention, we know some things that Nadia was doing in this layoff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She was definitely setting herself back. Yeah, uh, she's uh, definitely uh, pretty wild outside the cage. That's, uh, that's the word on the street. That's all I'll say about that, Shaq. So we know there's a lot of distractions there. I'm just going to keep it short. I'm going to go with Montana De La Rosa because I've been favoring her from the jump in this spot, and I simply think she's the more advanced fighter in this point in their respective careers. But I think that minus 260 is a little bit crazy. But who knows? Maybe she goes out there and steamrolls her, and maybe I'm wrong about that. But I definitely think there's going to be some back-and-forth moments, so I'd be careful laying the chalk in this spot. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Hani Yaya. He's minus 110. And Ricky Simone is also minus one ten. So Shaq, this fight's a dead pick'em. You got the jujitsu black belt versus the state champion wrestler. The state champion wrestler says he wants to keep this fight standing. He wants to do a sprawl and brawl clinic. And we know, historically speaking, if you want to beat one of these jujitsu guys, that's definitely a that's definitely a good way to do it. So I gotta know, man. You think that Ricky Simone can stay disciplined enough to not fuck up one time on the mat versus Haniaya? Yeah, you know, Hani falls into that category of, you know, jiu-jitsu black belt that, uh, you know, has had problems in the past with his cardio and, you know, flopping to his back, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Ricky, uh, these last two fights, he's been looking good. He's had two real tough fights. A lot of those guys probably project out, you know, to be better than Hani, even though Hani's had a great career. He's like 11 and 3, 12 and 3, but we know uh, 
Montel, that was a serious win for Ricky, man. Montel is going to be a, a great fighter down the line, and Ricky proved that he's a strong wrestler. He showed that uh, he's hard-nosed, he can wrestle, and that he can wrestle all day. So, you know, uh, it's uh, it's going to – Ricky's definitely uh, a, a top prospect. I would definitely agree on that. Um, Hani Yaya, you know, this guy is very underestimatable. You know, this guy – just like his last fight against Luke Sanders, he was the I think he was the dog in that fight as well. Uh, he's the he's the dog a lot, man. And a lot of his fights, uh, you know, he's a guy that seems uh, seems like he's had trouble with tough wrestlers in the past. But one thing that we can't uh, forget is his last loss against Soto. You know, Soto kind of has a jujitsu background. Now, Ricky. In his fight against Marab, you know, there were some times where Marab shot in and he, you know, shot that uh, typical takedown that Hani likes to shoot, you know, try to wrap up a single. And, you know, he definitely took his back a couple of times. Ricky definitely slipped him off and he relied on that uh, on that same exact escape throughout the entire fight. Now, uh, the, you know, the reason what would worry me is, you know, against a guy like Hani, who, you know, a serious black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion, I mean, you do that in the early stages of the fight, I mean, he might wrap those hooks in. Like, there is a chance of that. Like, he, he's that good at jiu-jitsu. And not to mention that, although I think Marab's a great fighter, Marab uh, is a guy that, you know, I don't want to say he doesn't think in there, but he, he's, he's out of control, man. You know, Marab kind of... <laughs> He doesn't really make adjustments. He's a ball of energy, you know. He, uh, you know, I think a good fighter would would have been able to make adjustments, especially a guy like Connie with a, a you know, a, a lot more different uh, array of techniques. Man would have been able to capitalize on that spot. And you know, Montel, uh, another great performance against against Ricky. But let's not forget that Montel also took that fight on a week or two notice. So you know, I think uh, Ricky Simone's definitely got some good skills. I definitely think he's got better hands than Hani, but another thing not to mention is Hani's stand-up's getting better a little bit, man. You know, I think Hani, you know, to beat him, you have to capitalize when you get him back on the feet, and that's something that these guys fail to do because Hani's stand-up is, you know, getting a little better, man. I think uh, he's, even though he doesn't really have uh, any knockouts on his record, he's got a way of swinging really wild to kind of spook these guys out, just like his last fight against Sanders, swung a big... Uh, hook combo and kind of stun Sanders a little bit and then he uh that's all he needs for his uh, little window to get his takedown man so you know I think uh you know if you have dog money if you you know have dog money on either side like good dog money on either side I definitely think uh either side you know has a chance to win I think it's a fairly uh evenly matched fight I just think that you know sometimes these vets get you know super under under uh, estimated against these prospects with uh I don't want to say little experience because I do think Ricky has a bright future and I'm picking Ricky to win this fight. It's uh, just from a betting perspective, you know, sometimes these vets come through and teach these prospects a lesson. You know, the prospect has got to, you know, really have it stamped down that uh, he's not going to engage in all the other mistakes that all the other prospects that the vets beaten. So, you know, uh, I will take Ricky, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's a dog or pass situation. Man. Anytime you get the classic wrestler versus jiu-jitsu guy, it's such an intriguing matchup. I can point to two examples with Damian Maya. You see Damian Maya versus Chael Sonnen goes out there, taps him out in the first round. But then you see Damian Maya against Colby Covington, and that was the sprawl and brawl clinic that Ricky Simone needs to employ here against Haniaya because that is the, the surefire way to beat that aggressive uh, jiu-jitsu guy. Now, as far as 
the stand-up concern, because I know Ronnie Aya has got that black belt in Muay Thai, but I want to talk about black belts in Muay Thai real quick, because, listen, every jiu-jitsu school, you know, there's there's the belt ranking system, no matter what, so you can always trace the lineage and know if your jiu-jitsu instructor is legit or not. You know, like, just based off where they got promoted from, if they're legit, or if they ordered their black belt off the internet or got their black belt in a cereal box, you know right away. Whereas with Muay Thai black belts, not every Muay Thai gym has a belt ranking system. So we don't even know who gave this guy his Muay Thai black belt. Shaq, look, man, I mean, he's an experienced guy. He's had close to 15 UFC fights. I mean, if you fight him with your hands down, he will catch you. I know officially he doesn't have any knockout wins, but between you and me, he knocked out Johnny Bedford. I know it says headbutt, but it was a fist to the chin, so he did knock out Johnny Bedford. But as far as his matchup is concerned, I don't think the stand-up's going to be Haniyaya's big weapon here. I think it is going to come down to the grappling exchanges. And when we have seen Simone get taken down, he does one of the classic get-ups where you kind of have to give up your back for a second to get back up. And, hey, that can work against jiu-jitsu guys. A guy we're going to talk about later, Robert Whitaker, when he fought Jacare Souza, he had to give up his back for a quick sec to get back up to the feet. Just because you give up your back for that quick sec doesn't necessarily mean the jujitsu guy is going to get his hooks in right away and you're fucked. You just have to be very slick about it. Do not let him get those hooks in. Stand back up and separate like Rob Whitaker did to Jacare. If Ricky Simone is able to do that, it's going to come down to this one little exchange where Ricky Simone is going to get taken down and as he tries to get back up, he has to sacrifice position. He has to give up his back. During that moment, will Haniyaya be able to capitalize, get those hooks in and possibly choke him out? Or will Ricky Simone be able to separate and then be dealing with a more gassed out Haniyaya and then from there start to beat him up? Because it's not that these jujitsu guys have bad cardio. That's not even the case. It's that to do the kind of moves that they want to do to force you down to the ground and to dominate you there. That takes so much energy. That's why you often see guys like Damian Maya and Haniyaya huffing and puffing when things don't go their way, even Jacare Souza. So that being said, I think that Ricky's a very smart kid. He's already uh, tasted defeat on the regional scene. He knows what that's like. He knows what it means to bounce back. So for all that reason, man, this being, I believe, his 16th pro fight, I do think that at this current point, he is experienced enough to deal with a guy like Haniyaya. And I know people will bring up the Joe Soto fight, and I won't, even though I cashed that plus 180 on Soto, I won't, because like you said, Soto is also a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and he's a competitive uh, jiu-jitsu guy. He's competing in those EBI tournaments, so... You know, he did a lot of jujitsu shit to, to nullify Haniyaya's game. Whereas Ricky, it's going to be straight wrestling. And the wrestler is the stronger man here, but it comes down to technique because you know how high level Haniyaya's black belt is. So I do think Ricky Simone will get past this challenge. But man, I do think there will also be some very sketchy moments. And I really do think it comes down to how he approaches getting back up to the feet. You know, is he going to give up his back? Is he going to give up those hooks or not? That's really what it comes down to in my eye shack. I will go with Ricky Simone via decision. Co-main event of the evening. We got Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya. He's minus 650, and the comeback on Anderson Silva is plus 475. Well, Shaq, these are two of the best strikers on planet Earth. Fighting in the co-main event, you got the former champ, Anderson, versus what many people consider to be the future champ, Israel. So I got to know, man, you think this line's a little wide, or you think it's justified? Anderson is a is a one of the goats. Uh, 
like I said, Israel's been getting better fight to fight and kind of drastically better fight to fight. Like this guy comes out and he, he takes care of business against guys and manners that uh, we really don't see, man. I mean, what he did to Tavares was, you know, uh, kind of shocking. I mean, I, I predicted that he would win that fight, but the, the manner in which he did it was uh, pretty eye-opening. And then the Brunson fight was a nice little easy first-round KO. And uh, Anderson, you know, Anderson... Anderson's best uh, strength at this point is just that aura about him, man. You know, he likes to play these little mind games. And, you know, he's trying to play those little mind games with Israel right now, you know, trying to make him fanboy out. And it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, you know, he makes it work. You know, Anderson's got a way of uh, punking guys out, just like how he did against Brunson, uh, making them, you know, gun-shy, making them, you know, stare at the legend. And it's going to be interesting. But, you know, I actually think Israel's not that type of guy, man. I think Israel, you know, I think he's just... I think he's just playing nice, man. But I think uh, when they get in there, man, I think it's going to be a different scenario, man. I, I think uh, no matter what Anderson wants to do, I, I don't think his chin's going to hold up against a guy like Israel, man. Israel's too pinpoint. He's too sharp. Uh, I mean, this guy can land strikes from all type of funny angles, man. Uh, his jabs, his straight rights. I mean, this guy's head movement's insane. So, of course, he can get caught with a big shot. But I think that's going to be against a... Uh, against guys that are much more aggressive, uh, you know, uh, against guys that commit a lot more than Anderson, man. But, you know, I got a, a lot of respect for Anderson, but uh, I think Israel does get a knockout here. Well, man, it's going to be unbelievable how it plays out. So these are two of the top strikers in the world. And joining me right this second is the top striker in the Southeast. I'm talking about Robert King Hale. Robert just walked in right now. I got to know, man, you got Israel Adesanya or Anderson Silva? I have Anderson Silva, second round KO. Um, the reason being, uh, I feel like the experience is going to kick in. Anderson's much more seasoned in there. Um, Israel Adesanya, he hasn't been to the deep waters as Anderson has taken people before. He's, I think Anderson Silva is going to take him to waters that he ain't been to before. And I, I just believe, like Shaq says, um, before um, the aura he brings in there is just so much. It's just so intense. If you don't know how to handle it, you're gonna get faded. And um, both guys, both guys are long, rangy. Anderson moves better than I believe than Israel. Israel is more technical. He likes to be composed and he likes to use his technique to throw people off and to cut. And he like he's very good at cutting angles as well. But I believe. The shots he's gonna throw are gonna miss Anderson Silva because he's a little slower than Anderson Silva. Right now? Yeah. Throughout the age. Just because not just because of the age, but just because I believe Anderson Silva is, like I said, more seasoned, more he's he's gonna know where to move his head. He's not gonna keep his head on center line like Derek Brunson did with Israel out of um out of sign. Um and I believe when Israel misses, Anderson's gonna capitalize. So that's why I'm calling it a second round knockout because it's the first round they're gonna fill each other out. We all know this. Um, this usually happens in big fights. They fill each other out first before anything happens. But biggest chance for Israel to win is the first round KO. If not, Anderson's taking it. Oh shit! Well, we got a bold prediction here by Robert Hill. For me, man, listen, nothing will make me happier than seeing Anderson the Spider Silva come out here and not just beat Israel Adesanya, but knock him out. And that's not because I have anything against Israel at all. I love Israel, and I'll be rooting for him in most of his future fights. It's just that when you're talking about the GOAT, Anderson Silva, and it's not like it's set at a pick em either. If it's set at a pick em, you know, maybe we consider betting on Israel. But 
at this current line where Anderson's plus 475, I mean, just as a fan of this sport, I will be rooting for Anderson Silva 100% to come out here and knock him out. But as far as how I actually think it's going to go, I cannot ignore father time, no doubt about it. Israel's the fresher guy at this point, has the higher trajectory just because, you know, he's making his title run right now, and Anderson already had all that. But one thing I will comment is that I know people like to talk about all of Anderson Silva's recent losses, and aside from the Bisbing loss where, you know, you and I, Shaq, we had that plus 265 dog money on Bisbing, and we both know he got knocked out by that flying knee. Aside from that loss to Bisbing, he's only really lost to wrestlers. Chris Weidman, Daniel Cormier. You heard Daniel Cormier in that fight. So one thing I know about Israel Adesanya is he's not going to come out here and shoot on Anderson Silva. He's going to give Anderson the fight. They're both going to give each other the fight they want. And it comes down to who is the better striker in this spot. Now, I... I do kind of question the durability of Anderson, but I will say this. This is one thing I've been saying to Shaq all week, even though it's a different sport. If I were to ask you right now, who has been KO'd stiff more recently? The answer is Israel Adesanya. The answer is not Anderson Silva, but that was in a completely different sport. Now, I know this is a little cheeky mind game, and it's kind of funny, but listen, Anderson's been playing cheeky mind games his whole career. He brought in Alex Pereira, the man that knocked out Israel Adesanya, to be his main training partner for this camp. And I don't think, you know, that Alex is really going to change much. I think it was more of, you know, just to fuck with Israel a little bit. Now at the open workouts, he's hitting pads with Alex Pereira. So it's just kind of funny. I love how he's messing with Israel in that respect. I do have to favor Israel just because of the current states that they're in in their, in in their respective careers. But as a fan, I am rooting for Anderson Silva 100%. Well, now we got to talk about the main event of the evening. Because we got Robert the Reaper Whitaker. He's minus 235. And the comeback on Kelvin Gastelum is plus 195. Shaq, Robert Whitaker has been absolutely unbelievable ever since he moved up to 185 pounds. I mean, at 170, he always has so much potential. But ever since he moved up to 85, undefeated. And he's the current reigning defending UFC champion. So I got to know, man. Taking on another man who moved up from 170 to 85 and Kelvin Gastelum, who whenever he's in a fire fight, he, seem, he seems to win. How do you think this one's going to go down? Yeah, man. Rob's, uh, you know, been getting better fight to fight. He's definitely, you know, I would say the more tested fighter of the two. Not to say that Kelvin, uh, his wins are definitely great. He's got wins over Bisping, Belfort, uh, Jacare. But uh, I think those two fights of with Yoel definitely uh, tested Rob mentally, you know, uh, to a point that, you know, he definitely proved his mental toughness, man, because he got hit with some shots in that fight that, uh, you know, most guys that we've seen in the past would uh, definitely go down to. And uh, he did, man. He weathered the storm. That fight was extremely close. And uh, just due to the fact that he had more volume than Yoel, Yoel basically took the first two rounds off in that second fight and uh, kind of had to put himself so behind that he had to win every round from that point on out. And he you know, couldn't sell that fourth round off, even though he made Rob uh, do uh, two severe chicken dances in that fight, man. So, you know, one thing I'll say about Rob is I think offensively he's uh, probably the best striker at 185, you know, top one or two strikers at 185. But defensively, you know, I, I disagree. And I think his defense is, you know, uh, I don't want to say declining a little bit, but I, I would definitely say his chin is present throughout the course of the five-round fight, man. I think, uh, you know, when he cuts his angles, his hands are down. Uh, just pretty much throughout the entire fight, his hands are down, man. And when you fight a, a former welterweight like Kelvin, who we know at 85 is definitely, you know, uh, speed-wise, definitely one of the faster 
uh, 85ers. He's definitely accurate with his one-two. Uh, we've seen what his one-two has uh, done to people in the past. And, you know, one mistake with Kelvin with your hands down, that might be it, man. So, you know, uh, from a betting perspective, I definitely think it's a dog or pass situation. You know, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure anyone has a, this much of a percentage uh, of, of a percentage to beat Kelvin Gastelum in a fight. I respect Rob Whitaker. But uh, I'm actually going to go on the upset, man. I think uh, that, uh, you know, Rob's chin is, you know, I think his chin's good, but I don't think his chin's going to be the same as it uh, once was after those OL fights. You know, I think uh, that when Kelvin does land his shots, that Rob will fill it. Whether he gets knocked out, I don't know, but I actually do think he's going to get knocked out. Like I said, I do think I think his chin's present throughout the fight. Of course, Kelvin's chin is uh, present as well, man. It's going to be a, a pissing contest, but uh, I th- actually think Kelvin has the better chin. So I'm going to go with Kelvin Gasolin to be the new UFC middleweight champion. Wow, so he's predicting the upset. That's uh, that's quite the pick right there, my man. So, Robert Hale, I got to know, man. Your teammate, Clint Hester, had a fight of the night with Robert Whitaker. You've seen what Whitaker's accomplished since then. You think Kelvin Gastelum's got enough to dethrone him? I think, again, Kevin's going to get there. Kevin has never been to the to five. Uh, well, he has never been to the five rounds. I believe Robert's going to take him to five rounds. And I believe Robert's going to sc- scave through this with a decision win because I I believe Kevin Kevin has his days like I said he has his days where he he goes on a knockout sprees Robert he knocked out Robert um Michael Bisbin Vitor um but when it comes to the big the big big time shows I he for some reason he does not show up I believe he's going to be hesitant he's going to be gun shy and he's going to get outpointed more than I don't believe nobody's gonna knock nobody's out, but be, just because of how tough both are, they're gonna go. They're gonna both come forward. They're gonna hit each other with big shots. But I'm in the end. I believe they're not going. I believe it's gonna go decision, and it's gonna go Robert Whitaker's way. So but, he's picking and still by decision. And still by decision. For me, this is an extremely tough fight to call, just because of how the styles match up. Now, I've gone on record many times and told you guys that Robert Whitaker is my favorite fighter, but none of that really matters when we're breaking down this matchup because he might be my favorite fighter, but I'm also not going to sit here and, and act like this isn't the toughest fight he's had in a very long time. Granted, he did just fight Yoel twice, but that's a different, it's a, just a different matchup completely. What I mean by that with, with Yoel, every single thing you hit Yoel with, when you punch Yoel as hard as you can, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts him because the guy is just made out of steel. So I feel like, you know, Robert head kicking Yoel, you know, yeah, it closed Yoel's eye, but it also broke Robert's foot. You know what I mean? Like, that's, uh, Yoel is, uh, is something else, man. But as far as this matchup's concerned, one thing I will say, Robert does fight with his hands down and he does have unbelievable distance, but man, Someone that's a good combo puncher that can counter might be able to capitalize. And that's what uh, Kelvin Gastelum brings to the table. Because if you watch some of Rob's other fights, for example, the Jacare fight, Jacare is an amazing fighter, and him and Kelvin had a war too. But as far as Rob and uh, Jacare were concerned, you know, Rob didn't really have to worry about getting hit with too many big shots. He just had to worry about look, if the fight hit the mat, this guy uh, might tap us out. Whereas, when Kelvin fought Rob, excuse me, when Kelvin fought Jacare, 
First of all, I'm going to go ahead and say that Rob has better takedown defense than uh, than Kelvin, a better get-up game than Kelvin. He's just more athletic than Kelvin. So when Kelvin got taken down against Jacare, he didn't pop right back up like Rob did, but he survived all the bad spots. I mean, he was in side control bottom against Jacare. Normally, Jacare gets on top of you like that. Fight's going to be over shortly after. You've seen it many times. Well, Kelvin was able to survive that. And I know people bring up how, you know, Jacare was landing a lot more shots on Kelvin than he was on Rob Whitaker. And that's 100% true. I cannot dispute that fact. However, there's a reason being why he landed more shots on Kelvin. It's because of the kind of fight it was. I mean, like I said, the reason I brought up Rob's takedown defense compared to Kelvin's is because when Jacare tried to grapple against Rob, Rob immediately shut that shit down right away and made him work to the point where he was huffing and puffing. Now, look, Kelvin made him work, too. Jacare was huffing and puffing as well, but it's just a different style of matchup. Kelvin's Mexican. Kelvin likes to stand in that pocket. He doesn't mind eating a couple shots to land shots of his own because his chin is so fucking good that you hit this guy as hard as you can. Chances are he's not even going to move an inch. He's going to stay right there. Then he's going to counter you with his left hand, his right hook, and that's when guys get knocked out. So this is a really interesting matchup, Shaq. I'm very, very intrigued by what's going to happen in these pocket exchanges because, yes, Kelvin is the more hittable guy, no doubt about it, but his chin is also better than Rob Whitaker's. I will go ahead and say that. Yes, both men have been dropped. I, I remember the Rick Story fight with Kelvin. Like, like I'm, I didn't forget all that. But you know what else I remember, Shaq? I, I remember the Court McGee and Steven Wonderboy fight. You know one of them has been unconscious before and it was not Kelvin Gastelum, right? So I'm just saying here that even though it was at a different weight class, I know Kelvin gets hit a lot. But out of the two, one has been unconscious, and it was not Kelvin Gastelum. Now, moving up to 85, I know the chin does improve. And you saw those shots he took against Yoel. They dropped him, they wobbled him, but they didn't finish him. So that's credit, iron chin. My question is, how many more shots can you take clean on the chin and still stay there? Because, once again, unlike these past matchups that these guys have had, I don't really believe there's going to be a lot of grappling in this fight. I really truly believe they're going to stand and bang until one man falls or someone wins the decision. Now... Shaq is picking uh, Kelvin to win via knockout. My boy Robert Hill is picking Whitaker via decision. And I see both of those as possible outcomes, no doubt about it, because I do think that both guys have such good chins that if they go all five rounds, there is a chance that, hey, this is in Australia, and Robert Whitaker probably does have a little bit more volume. He mixes it up a bit more. He can definitely go out there and win that decision, no questions asked. On the flip side, he fights with his hands down, and... Jacare might be too slow to capitalize on that. Derek Brunson might be too sloppy to capitalize on that. Brad Tavares might be too sloppy to capitalize on that. But one thing I'll say about Kelvin Gastelum, you know, he might not be the best wrestler. He might not be the best this and that. But one thing he's fucking good at is his counterpunching, man. His counterpunching in the pocket, he's one of the best in the division at that. And that's where I think this matchup is so intriguing because I see this minus 235 next to Rob's name. And often, most times, yeah, go lay that juice on, on Rob, no doubt about it. But here against Kelvin, it's different just because of how the styles match up. And I really do think that Kelvin Gastelum is live for a knockout here based on everything I've been saying with how Rob exits the pocket, with how he fights with his hands down, and with the superior counter-striking ability of Kelvin Gastelum. That's a definite possibility. From a bending perspective, I believe it is dog or pass. Now it's just about, are you going to put your foot down and really pick someone to go out there and dethrone the great Robert Whitaker? Because, I mean, he is an unbelievable fighter. 
But stylistically, I think this is the toughest fight he's ever had. And I know he's coming off two Yoel fights. Like, you guys don't need to remind me. I know that. But Yoel's a different matchup. Yoel's an Olympic wrestler. Kelvin Gastelum's a Mexican counter-striker, man. Oh, man. I really do think Kelvin's live for the knockout here. Uh, but if he doesn't get it, Robert might win this decision, though. So from a from a betting perspective, this is dog or pass. And uh, for that reason, I will go with the dog. But holy shit, right? Like, the fact that I'm acting like it's 50-50... That means that automatically I have to go with a plus 195 dog in this spot. But picking against Whitaker doesn't always sit well with me because it is Whitaker. You know, he's that damn good. He's only 27, 28 years old. It's not like he's aging or any shit like that. He's definitely coming off a war. So now it's going to be another fucking war. I think he might get caught here, Shaq. That's all I got to say. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. Another week, another fight, and this time it's Kelvin Gastelum challenging for the middleweight title versus Robert Whitaker. How's it going, man? Good, man. Uh, coming off a rough week thanks to Moicano, but ready to bounce back, get a dub, make some money, uh, and we got some, some decent fights. So looking forward to talking about them with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, this title fight, right off the bat, two former welterweights and Whitaker and Gastelum, now they're fighting for the middleweight championship. Uh I have a feeling they're going to stand and bang until one man falls or possibly someone can win a decision here. Uh, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a stand-up fight for however long it lasts. Um, but I like Whitaker. I just think he's a better fighter everywhere. As long as he doesn't get knocked out, he wins this fight. So I think it's KO or bust for Gastelum. And if Whitaker can take Yoel's best shots, you got to think he could take Kelvin's best shots as well. So. I'm definitely going with uh, Whitaker as my pick. I think it's probably by decision, though, and that's my issue on DraftKings, is if this is a 15-minute striking match with no knockdowns, I mean, not 15 minutes, 25 minutes with no knockdowns, I don't know how high Whitaker can score. I doubt he scores much more than 100 if that's the case. Uh, I'm thinking he's kind of capped at like 10x, really, and I don't know if that's going to win you a tournament at $8,900 because there's some fighters below him if they finish that could kick him off the optimal lineup so the last few days I've kind of changed my preferred pick over to Gastelum because if Gastelum wins no matter how he gets it done he'll be on the winning lineup at $7,300 and I mean Whitaker does have the hands low approach so if Gastelum catches him drops him finishes him that's I mean that's probably going to be up close to 100 points and if he gets that at 7300 he's for sure on that $30,000 lineup and that's what I'm chasing this week I'm chasing that 30,000 so I've I've got more Gastelum actually than I do Whitaker my issue is I think I'm I'm think I'm losing that fight I think I'm taking the L I'm just doing it more in case he can get the knockout because there's not a lot of dogs I like on this card so Gastelum's been one that I've been clicking on so the co-main event is uh Anderson Silva and Israel Adesanya. Now, Kyle, it's not often you see a 6600 price tag next to Anderson Silva's name. The reason being is because he's taking on Israel Adesanya. But do you think, I got to know, do you think he's going to be very popular in DraftKings based on that price? Or do you think he's going to be low-owned? I mean, I think his name alone will make him popular with the casuals, at least. <laughs> I don't know, though. I'm really struggling to figure out the ownership on this fight. But yeah, if you would have told me I was going to get Silva at $6,600 versus another striker, you know, five years ago, I'd take, I'd put all my money on that. Uh, but the problem is Israel is just 
the better striker, especially at this point in their career. I mean, Silva's 43 years old, uh, has been away from the game. He has not looked great recently. Uh, and I think Israel's the next champ. I think Whitaker wins. I think Israel wins. I think they get matched up next, and I'm going to take Israel in that one too. Um, see, I think Silva's just got a bad matchup here over in Australia too, so everyone's going to be behind Adesanya. Man, I, I don't know if he gets the knockout, which is what we're going to need at $9,600, but it he definitely could. <laughs> so I'm going to have to roster him a little bit. I just don't think you have to go all in on this guy because if he does not get the knockout, he's probably not going to pay off the $9,600. And as the most expensive guy on the card, that's what we're going to need. We're going to need well over 100 points from him. Not sure that's going to be possible. So if, if you're making one lineup, I, I don't know. I'd probably just go ahead and fade this fight altogether. I'm probably going to have like a hundred lineups. So I'm going to have some Israel, but I'm also going to have like one or two Silva's just in case he can get that lucky knockout. Uh, I think if the fight hit the ground, maybe he's live for a submission. I just don't see how he gets it to the ground. So I think we're really relying on the knockout, which is why I would only throw him in like one or two of my hundred lineups. Um, so yeah, fade the fight or Israel. That's kind of how I would go with it. So Ricky Simone's taking on Ronnie Yaya. And, I mean, I think we know the deal here. It's wrestler versus jiu-jitsu. Uh, you think Ricky can stuff or not? Oh, man, I, I think he can, yeah. And I think he's got the better striking for sure. It's just, man, all all Yaya needs is to get one leg, and then he finds his way up to a submission. So it's real scary picking against Yaya. So I won't be fading him for that reason because $8,000, any submission from him is going to – I mean, I don't know if it's going to put him on the, the optimal lineup, but I would think he gets – 90 or so points with a submission and at 8k that that's what i like to see so i will have some yaya but i like simon Moore. my issue is i don't see him taking it to the ground um so if this is going to be him just stuffing takedowns and keeping it on the feet with no knockout i don't see him scoring very highly so this is kind of like that whitaker gasoline fight for me where i'm picking simon to win or simone to win but Yaya, as a the cheaper guy, I think, has the better chance of getting on that $30,000 lineup, if that makes sense. Um, but so, someone's going to be my pick, and I'll, I'll say, say by my... unanimous decision. Uh, makes, makes a lot of sense, man. And interestingly enough, this fight between Montana De La Rosa and Nadia Kassam, when it first opened up, as far as the, the betting lines, it was minus 120 apiece on the opener. Currently, it's minus 260 Montana De La Rosa, plus 220 Nadia Kassam. And you look at DraftKings, you see 8,800 for De La Rosa, 7,400 for Kassam. I got to know, man, do you at all see any value in Kassam based on the fact that she was minus 120 on the opener? Or do you simply think they were wrong on that uh, line and uh, the public acted accordingly? Uh, no, I think there's some value on her, actually, because if this fight doesn't hit the ground, I think she wins it. Uh, I think she's the better striker overall. Uh, I think she could even finish the fight on the feet. I'm not too impressed with De La Rosa on the feet. It's just the problem is if this fight hits the ground, it's probably going to be a submission by De La Rosa. And Kasem does not have good takedown defense, but Montana De La Rosa doesn't have good takedown offense, so she might be stuck standing here. I actually think um, Nadia's a low-owned underdog that I, I will be targeting in DraftKings. Uh, but I also need to take shots on De La Rosa too, because I think if she can just hit the mat one time, even if it's in that first round, then she's going to score 95 points with that takedown and the submission. So 
at 8,800 that could put her on the winning lineup. I'm going to have to take some shots at that just because it's a super clear path to victory. But if she can't get those takedowns, I think she's in trouble. So any win from uh, Nadia, I think, would do it. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be higher owned on her than I will Montana De La Rosa. So Jimmy the Brute Crutes making his second appearance in the Octagon, taking on Sam Alvey. We know the game plan to beat a guy like Sam Alvey. Do you think uh, Jim Crute can do it without getting caught? I don't know, man. I think I think they're both going to be pretty tentative. It's going to be another boring fight. That's kind of just how Sam Alvey makes all of his fights, and my rule of thumb is just to completely fade Alvey fights. So I'm probably just going to keep doing that here. Maybe with 100 lineups, they both make one or two lineups of mine. But I just see this being a, a close fight where um, it's going to go 15 minutes of all striking and it's not going to be at a high pace. So I feel like the winner is going to score like 65 points maybe, and that's not going to cut it at their price tags. Um, I think Crute has the higher ceiling because he will be stri- he will be fighting at the higher pace. I think um, maybe after that knockout Alvy took, Maybe his chin's a little weaker now and Crute can put him out. But I also think Alvy could knock out Crute. Crute's, Crute's got potential, but he's definitely not there yet. He's hittable, and Alvy can crack. So I'm, I'm a little nervous fading this fight because if one of them finishes, then I'm screwed at those price tags because it'll probably put them on the winning lineup. Um, it's just so hard to want to target any Alvy fights, and I'm not impressed enough with Crute where I want to invest highly in them. So I say just fade this fight altogether. If you're making 150 lineups, I would probably lean Crew as the preferred play, even though I'm, I'm actually going to pick Alvy to get the split decision upset here. So Teruto Ishihara is taking on Kyung Ho Kang, and I know Kyle Marley has a very good record uh, picking against Teruto Ishihara. Does that continue here? Yeah, I think it does. I think... Uh, Kang has a real easy path to victory. Just get this fight to the ground, and that'll either win him a decision if he can't lock up the submission, which I think he actually will within the 15 minutes get a submission. Um, Teruto is pretty easy fade. Unless you do think he's going to get the knockout, that's that's his only shot, I think, is, is the knockout. So I don't want to rely on that. I think Kang's a better fighter, and I think he's going to get this fight to the ground where it should be his world. Um, $9,400 is probably – it's tough to pay. So it's really kind of between him and Israel and a lot of lineups. I do think he has the higher ceiling because he's going to be going for the takedowns. And if he can get multiple takedowns, he can score over 100 points, whereas Israel is going to have to get an early knockout to score over 100 points. So I actually might have more Kang than Israel, but I'm probably just going to fade Truto overall. Um, and it may be like 35% Kang is what I'm thinking in my lineups. So Lando Venata is taking on Anderson Silva's training partner, Marcos Mariano. And uh, Mariano is actually a six foot two welterweight, making the drop to lightweight. But man, he's got some massive holes in his ground game. I know for whatever reason, Lando just doesn't win fights inside the octagon. Do you think he changes that here? Yeah, man. I, I, I just finished this fight. And this Mariano guy, man, he fucking sucks. I don't even know how <laughs> he got into the UFC. Uh, I feel like they called the wrong guy, and this dude's going to show up and they're like, who the hell is this dude? Um, but no, I, I can't see him winning. I think, I mean, he's going to be the bigger guy, so I guess it's knockout or bust for him, but he's not going to be striking at the higher pace. That's for sure going to be Lando. And if this fight hits the ground, it's going to be Lando all day. So I definitely got a favor of Venata here, and he's actually one of my favorite plays on the card. Uh, after finishing film on this 
uh, Mariano guy. So, yeah, I feel like it's a one and done for Mariano. It almost seems like they just had to get Lando a win somehow after his last four fights. They're like, let's just find anybody who can get him this win. And that's what they're doing here. Lando by a finish. So some conviction uh, for Lando Venata here by Kyle Marley on the Big Marley Minute on Half the Battle. Well, before I let you go, man, Jonathan Martinez and Luigi Buren's kicking off the card. Uh, any opinion? Uh, well, all right. See, I think uh, Buren's live, and it's going to be from grappling. If he wins, he's the underdog. We do need underdogs. So I think Buren's an okay play. But the problem is everyone's kind of thinking that way. It's hard to pick dogs on this card. So I feel like Buren might be one of the more popular underdogs, which makes me kind of lean towards drafting Martinez. I think he's going to be real low owned. I think on the feet, I mean, it's not even going to be close. He's going to be striking at the higher output. He's the better striker overall. If he can get a finish at $8,500, I think that puts him on the $30,000 lineup. So I'm going to actually be taking more shots on Martinez than I will Buren. And I'm hoping that he can get it done by knockout. Uh, I'll draft a little bit of Buren just in case. So I'm not buried if he goes out there and gets a grappling win. But I don't see him getting like 100 points even if he does get a grappling-based win. So uh, I don't think he's a must, but I think he'll be a little bit too popular for my liking. Let's go. Martinez, um, mid to late stoppage. And that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. They can follow you at Big Marley 3, and they can get uh, your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. I'm finishing now. Um, I should have it finished by tonight. So I'll send that your way. You can throw it up, and uh, let's make everybody some money. Hopefully they buy it, read it, and uh, cash from it. Good, Good luck, luck, everyone. everyone. Yes, sir. We'll speak soon, Kyle. All right, All right take, take care. care. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 234? My fight to watch is going to be Ricky Simone versus Hani Yaya, man. Ricky Simone's got a lot of hype right now. Hani Yaya has been proven to, you know, uh, be a perennial top 15 guy throughout his whole career. He's got a great UFC record. He's kind of struggled with these uh, style matchups in the past. And, uh... You know, if Ricky wins this fight, man, that's a big win. That's a that's he can say something that a, a lot of prospects uh, can't say that he actually beat Honey. You know, so it's a it's gonna be a good fight, and that's my fight to watch. Yeah, obviously Ricky versus uh, Honey Aya is definitely one of the fights to watch. The classic wrestler versus jujitsu guy. I will be tuning in. Robert Hale, what is the fight to watch? The fight to watch, everybody, would be would definitely be Devontae King K. Smith versus Dong Hong Kim. Just because if you're ready to see probably a spectacular knockout in the very first round, that's something you're going to see. I think they're going to steal the show. Yeah, I will 100% be tuning in to see a guy like Devontae Smith, especially after his UFC debut. And a guy in Dong Hong Kim who's already had a fight of the... Fight of the year contender with Paula Reyes. You have to be tuning in for that fight. No doubt about it. For me... My fight to watch is going to be Jimmy the Brute Crew versus Sam Alvey. It's not often I pick a Sam Alvey fight as the fight to watch, but based on how they match up and the fact that Jim Crew is going to come right after him, you know Sam Alvey is going to be looking for that counter. I don't think this is going to be the typical boring Sam Alvey fight. I think Jim Crew will make Sam Alvey exciting, and for that reason, that is my fight to watch. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 234? You know, this guy had a terrible accident where his uh, girlfriend got killed in a motorcycle uh, accident that he was actually driving. So, you know, he's fighting with a heavy heart. And this guy's 18-1. Uh, and one. He's fighting, a you know, a very uh, highly regarded prospect. 
And, uh, you know, he could be getting slept on. So, Raleon Pive was my fighter to watch. Damn, that happened to Raleon Pive? I didn't know that shit. Yeah, like recently. Damn, that's fucking crazy, man. So, holy shit, he's fighting with a heavy heart then. Well, Rob, I got to know, man. What's Who's your fighter to watch? <sighs> my fighter to watch is Anderson Silva. I'm going to choose him because every I believe everybody's really kind of slowly, like, putting him in the back burner because they, they, they're they trying not to put him in the back burner because they want to say, oh, he's a legend, he's this and that, but they want to also throw, um, they want to throw in that he's older than Israel, so he has no chance. So I'm going to go with the fighter to watch is Anderson Silva. Nah, well, you know, I won't miss an Anderson Silva fight ever. <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell you that right now. So I, I definitely agree with that, but my fighter to watch is going to be a guy named Callan Potter. He's taking on Jalen Turner. The reason why is this is a guy that a lot of people have been saying needs to be in the UFC for a very long time. And now he's actually 34, 35 years old. He's kind of one of the older guys fighting out of Australia. But for the longest time, you heard Dan Kelly, you heard Jim Crute. They were all saying, sign Callan Potter. Now he's finally in the UFC. He's taking on a kid in Jalen Turner who's six foot three, who's athletic, who's a specimen. So it's, gonna, it's not an easy fight for your debut, but this guy... The way they regard him in Australia, you know, like he's the captain, like he's the general, like he's the 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 uncrowned uh, Randy Couture. That's the way they've been acting about this guy. So for that reason, Callan Potter is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, UFC 234, Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum. It's going to be a hell of a fight. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. You can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.